Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And today we are going to speak with a psychoanalyst. She's actually been a professional psychoanalyst for over 30 years. She has authored numerous articles, books on parenting, developmental psychology, clinical treatment, contemporary research. She has a One of her books is Busy Parents Guide to Managing Anxiety, Busy Parents Guide to to Managing Anger. In addition to what we're going to talk about today, we are going to talk about narcissism. And with her book, Are You Living with a Narcissist? How Narcissistic Men Impact Your Happiness, How to Identify Them, and How to Avoid Raising One, I'm sure this is going to be enlightening for not only myself, but for everyone listening to this, and share this with your friends, family that may benefit from this podcast. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Lori Hallman to the podcast. Welcome, Dr. Lori. Hi, hi. Welcome to everybody who's listening. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I'm glad that you're able to make the podcast. And what we're talking about today, it's seems like uh, I'd like for you to clear the air because it seems Mm -hmm. like narcissism is on the rise. Are we mislabeling people, especially on social media? It seems like, oh, that person's offhanded comment. You would say that person's a narcissist. But how do we determine, you know, what's a narcissist versus somebody that's overly self-confident? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way to start. There are what I consider about 16 or 17 characteristics that I can tell you about with some examples, Um, but no one person must have all these characteristics. It's more like they have five or six, and some have many more. Um, Narcissism in itself is a spectrum from normal narcissism, which is to love oneself, to have good self-esteem, to pathological self pathological views of oneself um, that focus on self-importance. And um, so there's what I call a developmental line. Um, Little kids are narcissistic. A three-year-old likes to dance in front of daddy. That's perfectly normal, and he should give her a great audience. That's wonderful. Um, But if that need for admiration persists throughout life, and into adulthood um, when one has ambitions and relationships, then we get into trouble. Um, but now the majority of people with narcissi- the actual narcissistic personality disorder, often referred to as NPD, are men. Um, they are considered 50 to 75% of those who fulfill the criteria. So I'll be talking about men, but it doesn't mean that women can't also have NPD. Um, so let me tell you about some of the main characteristics of the successful narcissistic man, because often, in my experience, in my uh, clinical experience, um, these men are very successful and are very ambitious and are very accomplished. Um, So when they seek admiration, it looks like it makes sense. Um, It's just that it's excessive. So um, the outward success sometimes um, hides that deep inside they feel inferior, interestingly enough. So they may come to therapy or um, seem to be suffering uh, from depression because people in relationships with them threaten to leave them over years. After a while, they catch on. Um, the word narcissism comes from a Greek myth about narcissists that people may have heard of. It's a man who sees his own reflection in a pool of water and falls in love with it. And one man in particular that I can think of said to me any time I was talking about other people in his life, no, 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 we're talking about me, me, me. And he really meant it and didn't see it as an odd thing to say. Um, But, of course, it helped clarify things for myself. Um, They exaggerate 
their self-importance, their attractiveness, which may not be physical, but socially, um, academically, professionally, and they think that personality is just the most charming person you've ever met. Um, so one characteristic is they do talk about themselves almost exclusively. Um, they tend to speak and think about themselves most of the time. They're conscious of how they look, their wealth, if they have it, which often they do. Talents, achievements are often many, and they expect to hold your attention to these attributes as they speak rather than think about yourself. But at times these comments are exaggerated or at least overemphasized and not necessarily accurate reflections of their whole lives. So even when they are based on reality, they're repeated endlessly. And those in their close environment hear the same stories over and over. Every time they meet someone new, um, we'll say a wife, they meet a new couple, and the man jumps into his experiences, and he's very entertaining. So people enjoy listening and don't seek to have a focus turned on themselves. They're, They're kind of at a party and they enjoy hearing this very charming person who is centered on themselves but lacks empathy. They're unable to recognize or understand the needs and feelings of other people, but they don't see themselves that way. Um, A second characteristic is that they have fantasies of greatness. So you may be very smart, very accomplished, but it doesn't make you greater than other people. It just makes you have those gifts. Um, but the minds of those with MPD tend to be filled with elaborate fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty of the perfect mate, um, and they do believe sincerely that they should have the best of everything, and that may include houses, cars, clothes, um, medical care, where they attend school, um, but the ironic thing, and this is why I actually have compassion for narcissists, is that these attempts are attempts to fend off uh, inner emptiness and a sense of shame instead of the outward specialness and sense of control that they reveal. They often don't know it because they're so constantly busy to keep themselves from knowing it. Um, I can think of a guy who is a neurosurgeon and um, he really is a remarkable doctor. Um, He's in my book. I call him Wade. Um, It's actually, he has another profession, but I give him this profession in the book, uh, which is comparable to his own. And um, this is a very super knowledgeable man. I mean, he sits on the computer at night for hours learning everything about everything. (laughs) So when he goes out, and he has a great memory, so when he goes out socially, any topic that comes up, he becomes the expert. And, of course, people admire that and want to hear all the details. And his wife dr- listens to him drone on, kicks him under the table, um, because she knows that in time, if he keeps this up, people are really just being polite. They don't want to hear the same stories a hundred times. Um, but he doesn't know that. He, doesn't re- he seriously doesn't know it. Um, he'd be surprised to hear that idea and think that you're just way off base. But they kind of lack an inner core, and I've heard younger narcissists, like 20-year-olds, who are much more flexible, um, actually say, I don't have an inner core. A kid actually said that to me. He said, I don't know who I am. Yeah, because he was so busy building this persona that... He never actually got to know himself. You know, he, I'm diverting a little, but he had narcissistic parents who viewed him as a child prodigy, which he was. Really brilliant little boy. Um, As a teenager, he was fluent in Chinese as well as in regular English. Um, You know, at a very young age, he was reading constantly. Um, And this made his parents feel like they were really important, too. So instead of like sort of stemming the tide and let him think of others, he never learned to share. He was terrible in preschool. He was a real temper tantrum kid. And um, he grew up without containing this sense of powerfulness. Um, So they come to believe that they are superior. 
and often have this grandiose sense of self-importance. If you're in tune to it, you kind of can see it. There's like an air of self-importance um, that leads them to feel superior to others, um, and they want to be in the company of people they consider great. Um, they believe that only others who are just as special as they perceive they are should be in their company. They maintain feelings of superiority by often disparaging others, focusing very quickly on others' flaws, um, mm. real or imagined, but often they're their own flaws that are hidden deep inside. And that's why they're mm. so capable of picking them up in other people. Um, so they hide their own shortcomings and preserve preserve this grand self-image. Um, interrupt anytime. <laughs> um, no, sure. I, it's a good stream of consciousness because, I mean, you're, what you're identifying, it seems like, well, I mean, obviously it's, it's a diagnosis, but yeah. there seems to be a pervading belief that on some level, at least in the business world, you know, mm-hmm. that you have to have some level of this to, to outwit your competitors and to be the top of the food chain. Absolutely, absolutely. You are a winner, and the world is divided into winners and losers, and mm-hmm. nothing's in between. So in order to keep up that belief about themselves, they require constant praise. Um, in my book, I talk about a young woman named Laura um, who must continuously pr- praise her no- lawyer husband's accomplishments. And he... He's a personal injury lawyer in the book, and his accomplishments are fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. This is a man who, in real life, made $6 million on one case and was mm-hmm. written up about it. Um, so, you know, it's kind of hard to have that kind of success and not have it affect you. But mm-hmm. um, this outward confidence that results can often hide the vulnerability and fragile self-esteem. Remarkably, even if you make that money, you don't know you're going to make it again. And that, and that mm-hmm. it leads to self-doubt. Um, so they continually prop themselves up and expect and need constant attention, praise, and admiration. Um, they do expect to be recognized as superior, even when their achievements don't warrant it. I mean, these people aren't always... Um, brilliant in every respect, but they, of course, focus everybody on what they are brilliant in. Um, Another characteristic is they experience a sense of entitlement that they are certain they deserve. Um, The boy I was talking about before, um, the child prodigy, had a very large, very large family, and each time a sibling was born, he took it almost as a personal insult that his mother couldn't attend to him as fully as the siblings. And he thought he was always angry at her. They were in a constant battle. And um, he sought to compensate by having status, wealthy friends, which he couldn't achieve very well because people didn't like him. And he knew it. And that was, that was really tough. I mean, I felt for him because he... It's like a person walking blind. They don't know what they're doing wrong because they feel this so uh, completely. Expecting others will offer them special favors and fulfill their requests immediately without question. And if they aren't treated that way, they become very irritable and impatient and angry. Um, Some of these men are very passive-aggressive in that they give silent treatment when they don't feel what they regard as what they should have as their own. Um, I've seen these men not talk to their wives for days. I mean, really silent. You know, they have what they call their own room, and they go in it, and um, they just don't speak for days until maybe something wanes, and they get back into the fold. Um, So as children, they were often very demanding temper tantrums and needed insatiable attention. Um, a sad characteristic is they do take advantage of other people. So they direct others in their lives, especially in intimate relationships, to always have regard for their interests and their activities. They do not like to be idle. To be idle is to feel something inside. So they're really busy, and they're on the move. 
and they've seen people who can afford it see every concert, every show, um, every form of entertainment you can imagine, and they expect their wives and even their children to come with them. Um, and everybody isn't always interested. You know, a seven-year-old doesn't want to go to a concert. Um, mm-hmm. But they don't get it. That, that's the blind spot that I guess I want to emphasize. Now, they often do have long-term relationships because I'll talk about the women later or their spouses later, and they may be disloyal to their spouses and friends, and they may lie and they may cheat. And this is a big question mark, whether they have remorse. Um, In treatment over time, like the young boy I talked about, the 20-something-year-old, he definitely did have remorse for the way he treated his siblings. Once he was older and he looked at the effects on them, he was sorry. But that took a lot of years of treatment. Um, A man who cheats on his wife and has a secret affair that she really doesn't know anything about, maybe for 20 years, um, Mm. suddenly finds out through some quirk of somebody else telling her, and she's shocked. And and it's a very despairing feeling because you you feel like, who have I been married to all these years? but the question is, once it's known and out in the open, can they have remorse? Can they feel badly for the person they have so horribly hurt? Some can, some can't. And this is where we get into the fine line of the difference between a narcissist and what other people call a sociopath or a psychopath, which is not my expertise, but I do know the difference. Um, I would not see a psychopath because that could be a violent person and that would legitimately scare me, Um, and I'm not trained in that. But a narcissist, I don't fear. Um, The person isn't violent. The person just has disregard for others, and they're very envious of others. Um, That's another common characteristic. Because of their low self-esteem and need to be superior, they see people who have things they don't, including tangible items. Um, that give them status or admiration as threats to their well-being. They want what they want, and they want it when they want it, (laughs) and will seek vengeance in some way um, towards other people who don't come into their favor, so to speak. Um, They relish, obviously, being the center of attention. This is what they need. And they need constant mm-hmm. praise from others. It's like food to them. Um, it feeds their self-esteem and makes them, and I should say, uh, strengthens their sense of superiority at others. So they crave that attention and seek it out very effectively in a charming way. They're wonderful conversationalists. Um, mm-hmm. They feel very prone to talk about themselves. They may exaggerate their knowledge and accomplishments, and, and, and lots of people do that socially. Um, but they believe what they're saying. Um, they don't say, oh, I'm you know, just kind of kidding. I, I didn't quite do that. Um, they would never say that. Um, they crave attention. They're outspoken. There's an arrogance that sometimes draws people to them, actually. Um, but they do live in, if you want to feel for them, imagine living in a world where you fear not always being admired and accepted. That keeps you on guard. You know, you constantly search for this uh, for fear that you'll fall apart without it. Um, They lack empathy. That's a critical um, characteristic. They're unable to empathize with others and understand other people's perspectives to comprehend that others may have struggles of their own. Um, They seem to have an inability to recognize the needs and feelings of others. Yet they have, it's, they're smart. They, they know the, the script that sounds empathic. Um, often the physicians are very um, comforting to their patients who adore them. Um, they know what to say and when to say it. The question is, do they feel it? And somebody who is in dire straits is going to believe this person who encourages them. So... Um, because they need to. So they're not, you know, caught 
it, it's not apparent that this is sort of a script. Sometimes, um, when marital relations are brought to me, I do have to, um, for a, a true person with NPD who will not empathize with his partner, um, I almost do have to give him a script to make the other person feel better. You know, tell them. Wow. Yeah. In other words, when you're listening to, I'll say man and wife, when you're listening to your wife, um, paraphrase what she just said in her mm. words so she knows you understand. Now, a caring person does that because he wants the person to know they understand. But this man will do it because he knows it's effective. And mm. it's very hard to tell the difference until years, it can be years and years of um, a relationship. They also have boundless ambitions, much of which they fulfill. Um, mm. They fantasize about not only doing their best, but being the best. And this is important for parents who always say, thinking they're helping their, their child, just do your best. Don't worry. Just try. Do your best. The narcissistic person hears that as be the best or you fail. So they often, if they fall short, they're enraged and deeply disappointed and may feel depressed um, because they aren't as powerful as they think they should deserve to be. Um, so underneath, they're incredibly insecure. You know, the, the boy I mentioned earlier who says, I don't know who I am, it's very scary to feel that way. Um, it may be counterintuitive when you first meet a narcissist because they come across so charming, so entitled, so believing they're superior. Um, mm. But they're very insecure, actually, um, and are constantly wary of being put down. Um, instead, they disparage others. Um, they may internally at times question very briefly if they're truly special and unique and then very, I, don't, I can't say how fast, they dismiss these feelings. They're able to do that. That is their um, safety guard, so to speak. Um, another characteristic is that they are remarkably charming and they, uh, a doctor, let's say, or a lawyer, will think he's charming his staff who's actually going berserk because they have work to do. And he doesn't recognize it. Um, so when he comes out from an appointment, he overplays what he accomplished, and he makes his secretaries listen, and they're afraid not to because they want to keep their jobs and they want to admi give the admiration they know the doctor wants. But meanwhile, they get behind on their work and end up staying late. <laughs> so... Uh -huh. You know, it, it isn't really working, but the narcissist doesn't know that. They think that they're the successful leaders, which they often are, assertive but demanding, and often don't have as many followers as they expect they should have. Um, mm -hmm. They do a lot of networking and expect to be extremely popular and get deeply depressed when this doesn't happen. Um, in keeping with this, they're very competitive. Uh, as I mentioned before, that you've realized yourself that they are there are winners and losers. Others are opponents. It's all win, all lose. Um, mm -hmm. And if that doesn't happen, they may hold long-lasting grudges. They don't know how to reconcile with reality, so to speak. Um, the young man I spoke of, uh, at first, earlier in treatment, and he was in college, he blamed his peers who excluded him from very um, status-oriented societies uh, that were at his college. And in order to um, kind of bear the fact that he, he was, was not chosen, he lived to be chosen, um, he would gossip about them. Now, this was done vengefully, but of course it turned back against him. Um, of course. But he thought that Gee, if I tell so-and-so that um, this boy did something harmful to another person, then I'll get her on my side. But really, that person becomes afraid because they're afraid they'll be gossiped about. Mm, exactly. Um, you know, so they end up just demeaning other people. And in the process, they find criticism pretty intolerable for themselves. Or I'm even, I, I tend to soften it 
it, it is intolerable to them. Um, they're unable to cope when things don't go their way. They're hard pressed to admit fault when they're wrong. Very hard pressed to admit fault when they're wrong. They can change a subject faster than you could ever believe it, and you don't even know it happens. Um, so that they don't have to tolerate criticism, even if it's constructive. Um, they, cro- they hold the criticizer up as the person who made them the loser, rather than seeing that they did something wrong. And mm-hmm. often, in response, they're what's called passive-aggressive, which is often seen as silent treatment. Um, mm-hmm. They will ignore someone for a long, t- long time, hours, days, and when parents, narcissistic parents do this to kids, it's, it's really very harmful. Um, another issue is that they're constantly on the go so they don't feel boredom because that's a scary experience for them. So like I said, they attend concerts, plays, expensive dinners, prestigious parties um, because they don't want to be idle. And they expect their wives or partners to constantly attend all these activities and they go on these grand vacations and their partner can't relax you're not allowed to sit in the hotel and watch TV for an hour you know you um, have to be continuously on the go there is no tourist site in the world that you miss Um, so they need total control and often they do that with social media Um, so the doctor or the lawyer, even though he's as busy and as accomplished as he is, he's texting his wife all day long and expecting immediate text back, even if she's a professional and she's busy. They mm-hmm. want to be responded to immediately. They want others to follow um, so they can be the leaders. Um, they expect others to drop what they're doing so they can respond to their constant context. It's their schedule that matters. As I said, they may do kind things, but it's not out of deep caring for others, but to be perceived that way. Um, I can think of an example of a man who was, his birthday was being celebrated. This was like really, really important. I mean, we love our birthdays to be celebrated. He, this was of utmost importance. And when he was at a gathering, and somebody at the table started talking about something other than him, he literally got up out of the table and walked away. And the person who spoke, ironically, felt like he did something wrong because we're all, most of us are pretty kind. And so he felt, gosh, that he got up and walked away and it's his birthday. What did I do? But he didn't do anything. (laughs) You know, um, he just wasn't highlighting the importance of the, special person that night. So they walk out on any crowd, um, give them the silent treatment if they're disappointed. And many guests go along with it, feel they shouldn't disappoint this self-acclaimed star, and as I said, will berate themselves mercilessly if things don't go according to the narcissist's plan. So that, that, I hope, gives you a good, solid picture of this very confused person. A very great foundation for sure. Thank, thank you for that. And as you were talking, I mean, it sounds like there is a wide range of emotions, and of course, everyone experiences them, but it just seems to the extreme. And is there a relationship between this boundless ambition with being very insecure and its relationship with the increasing rate of suicide today? That's a very good question. Um, I don't have a you know one-on-one an absolute answer to it. Um, mm-hmm. But when these people fall emotionally, they do fall very deeply. Um, but when they're suffering like that, they do seek treatment, or their um, spouses insist on it. So um, I I. I Actually, in 40 years of work, I've never had a a patient who committed suicide, so Mm -hmm. it's not an expertise, fortunately, for me. Um, But I don't know if we can go to that extent to say that they're more suicidal than other potentially depressed people. Um, Okay. I guess that's my answer. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm asking, uh, one, uh, you know, I think a celebrity just ha- had that happen or did that this past week, and usually at the end, most of us don't have any answers. And from the outside, we're like, wow, they had this boundless ambition, everything looked great on the surface. Yes. And you don't, like you said, if they're so busy, you don't get to see where they're, you know, down in the doldrums and very insecure. Exactly, exactly. I mean, in, in that kind of situation, there's often a lot of drug use, to um, help them sustain this exhilarated feeling if they aren't getting mm-hmm. it from people enough. And that mm-hmm. obviously um, starts to damage their brain and they're not in reality anymore. I was watching Bill Maher uh, a week ago and Katie mm-hmm. Turek was on. And Are you familiar with the show? A little bit. A little bit, okay. So she was on, it's a political show. So anyway, uh, she's a blue blood in, in New York, and the leader, leader of the first world is too, and she was kind of making a comment that, uh, you know, he always wanted to be a part, he couldn't play in the reindeer games, you know. He was always yeah. the outcast, even though he was exhibiting all, all of these uh, pathologies that you're highlighting, and people yeah. kind of just looked at it for what it was. So it's like, no matter what I accomplish, I still can't get into that inner circle. Uh-huh. Yeah. That, that's very disheartening. It's a really mild word. <laughs> um, <laughs> the person really suffers from that. But mm-hmm. usually it's other people who want to get in his world. That's, that's more yeah. likely. Gotcha. Because it's, it's, when you were saying that the 20-year-old, it made it sound like, or the way I interpreted it was, there's this leadership group, right? And it's kind of that peer thing that you go through in, in school, and I'm always on the outside, no matter what. And so I'm, I'm led to, like you were saying, backbiting or whatever to kind yeah. of give me a leg up, even though it backfires. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, that particular boy really did change, though, and that's, that's the wonderful thing about youth. Um, that they are more flexible, they are, if they feel, that this is the treatment um, that I favor, which is to really help the person feel listened to and heard. And they really have not had that um, as they grew up. And if you do that consistently, in other words, don't contradict them, really listen, show them you're listening, let them feel heard, they start to trust you. And legitimately so, because I'm a trustworthy person and I'm really not judging them. I'm trying to help them. And they sense it. They know it. They, they see the genuine effort over months and, t- and sometimes years. And you become the only person they trust. But at least they have one person and they've learned about trust. So it's, it's fascinating when, when that boy, I keep coming back to him because I cared so much about him, uh, finished his treatment. Um, I wish I could have recorded, not really, but his gratitude. That this narcissistic 20-year-old by 26 could say thank you. You know, in his words, he said, what you did for me, and he used the word seismic, um, <laughs> And he said he never really felt understood before. And, you know, he grew up in a family with narcissistic parents, and he wasn't understood. He was almost used to make them feel grand. Um, And he came to grips with reality. He had magnificent image uh, fantasies at the beginning of wanting to work in the White House, which he might someday. Um, But he... Look, he went to a very prestigious college, and there he discovered he was not, in fact, the smartest, because everybody was smart. And mm-hmm. he tailored his ambitions to reality as he got older because he was in treatment. Um, so he d- d- he's not going to go to Harvard. He in law school, which is what was his dream. He, he realized it's okay. You know, he can go to NYU. I don't know where you're from, but, you know, he can go to Fort. He can get a good education and right. um, feel confident in that. And that was just remarkable. 
It really was remarkable. So I, I want to I, stay with him for a second. I, I yeah. want to stay with the twenty-year-old for a second because mm-hmm. it, it sounds like he broke the the cycle, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. what was the first step? Because I can only imagine uh, one thing that I used to, one movie I used to like was uh, Ricky Bobby. And mm-hmm. Will, Will Ferrell always said, if you're not first, you're last. And that was kind of yeah, the yeah, saying okay. people said forever. And if his parents are narcissistic, right, or they exhibit that mm-hmm. behavior, you're seen yeah. as a loser or that's kind of a, you're fallible if you seek professional help. So what was it that made this child, you know, buck that response that he was getting from his parents and still seek treatment? Oh, well, actually, they wanted him to because they were – overwhelmed with his rage uh, okay. and um, they honestly didn't know how to cope um, and they knew they didn't know how to cope so it was not only for him that they wanted help I hope that's what propelled them but they wanted it for themselves you know he was ruining their lives and it, he was so um, difficult to be with um, and that persisted all through high school and so he had before me he had multiple therapists um, who he didn't feel understood by who probably didn't really get narcissism and um, so it was like kind of failure after failure so by the time he came to me, his parents really wanted, I mean, they, they were shocked. At the end, his mother sent me a note saying, I can't believe you took him out of the status-filled bubble. I didn't take her out of it, but I took him out of it. <laughs> and, um, but she picked it, she, she knew what that was about. So, sure. so these, these parents do want their kids to have help. They do. Well, let me ask the other side of it. And I want to get your opinion because of the scandal last year with mm-hmm. parents paying for their ki- paying for their kids to get into school, even if they didn't have the scholastic acumen, yeah. they were still getting in. So yeah. it's more of you need to be with the right people. You're mm-hmm. smart. You're brilliant. Uh, what's your take on the percentage of those that go with the flow versus you know what I don't I don't subscribe to this and I want out. Yeah, I um, there's a couple in my in my book, who had great difference of opinion about that. Um, the wife is a pediatrician, so she's very successful, but self-made. She grew up very poor. She paid for her huge education and was really good at her job. And her husband, as a neurosurgeon, thought his job was far more impressive than hers. And let anybody know that. Um, and he was, you know, really off base and very hurtful. But his kids, interestingly enough, grew up having this very entitled feeling. Um, they were not good studiers. They, he, he was a hard worker, but he wasn't as brilliant as he thought. And the kids weren't brilliant. So they didn't succeed. They really didn't succeed um, in high school and went to... Um, kind of low-level colleges, I guess you'd say. But, you know, they went to college. But he would literally write their papers and um, do their homework in high school and in college. And when they got jobs when they graduated, he would (laughs) tutor them on the phone so they would stand out at work. Now, they really did. See, he believed this was okay because they really did learn from him. It was like having your own private tutor your whole life. Um, But the wife really objected. She could see the emotional consequences to her kids. And they they warred about this endlessly. Um, Whereas he felt my so-and-so wouldn't have been so achieving as whatever she did if I hadn't gotten her the contacts and told her how to uh, relate to people and not in a kind way, but in an effective way. And um, it worked. She was able to accomplish. So to him, he did a good thing. And in a sense, if he had done it more mildly, we do want parents to help kids with their homework. We do want parents to support their kids' abilities. Um, But his was so extreme 
that he was taking control. And actually, that doesn't raise your child's self-esteem. They feel totally dependent. And that's not a great way to grow up. Sure. So we talked about the 20-year-old. Let's go to the 40-year-old. And this is a 1.5 question. So in the corporate environment, there's a lot of demand. And if you are part of that cream that rises to the top and you have boundless ambition, you're – time is pretty much taken. I mean, you're working like 16 hours a day. So oh, yeah. it, but the other side of that, that 0.5 part of this question is corporate, at least in some environments, it's better or it's frowned upon if you're single doing that. So they really encourage that you're married. However, mm-hmm. it seems like a conflict of interest if you're have this allegiance to this corporation or your mm-hmm. own business, you know, if you're a self-starter, how do you, how does yeah. this narcissist balance? They don't. They really don't. I mean, the man I was saying who did all the homework for his kids forever, um, mm-hmm. when they were young, he really ignored them because his ambitions were what must – he was younger too. And mm-hmm. he was very ambitious. And I remember having this conversation. He would come home and walk in the house talking on his cell phone, and his kids were little. And I said, how do you think they feel seeing Daddy, who they've missed all day, on the phone? And he said, he didn't understand the question. Um, You know, and I said, could you finish that phone call in the car and then put it away so that when you walk in, you can show your excitement in seeing them and hear about their day. And he thought I was just like from another planet. You know, he really didn't understand. And his wife, of course, sitting there shaking her head because she knew just what I meant. Um, Right. So they, they um, but see, this was a guy who did feel some remorse once he saw the kids failing in high school. It's just his way, and he realized he wasn't there for them when they were young. But his way of helping them was to feel superior to himself. So he didn't have to do it. Um, the corporate environment does encourage it, and... These kids who come out of, um, this isn't in my book particularly, but let's say the, the kids who come out of Wharton at the University of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania who are, yeah. you know, really learn business and they go work for these very large investment corporations, they make mm-hmm. so much money because they work double time. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming. And a lot of them do cut out and do other things after a few years because they, they realize mm-hmm. they've chosen a life that excludes almost everything else. They're never having fun. Everything is status-oriented. And those kids are fortunate. They, they find themselves. Um, and you don't see that in a 50-year-old because there's too much to lose, you know, at that point. Um, right. But... Um, I don't want to, you know, in today's environment, um, it's very tricky because we are vilifying people who are very wealthy, some of who are mm-hmm. self-made, and we want to, you know, tax them so they can help pay the tuition of everyone else. And you know, I do believe in that, but these are people who are usually quite remarkable philanthropists. So if mm-hmm. you look at somebody like Bill Gates, I mean, he does amazing things. And yes. people may envy him and disparage him for being so wealthy, but he earned it. <laughs> you know, so we have to kind of figure out where we stand on these things and not view everybody the same way, but really look at the individual. Gotcha. And when you look at the individual, I think what I'm, if I read between the lines, there's that disconnect with discipline. And the, mm-hmm. the wealthy, as you're saying, for, on some respect, has a lot of discipline. And so yeah. there may be resentment to those that are not, and they don't empathize with them. They're like, look, I, <laughs> look what I had to do to make where I am, and you didn't, so uh, <laughs> why are you pen- penalizing me? Yeah, yeah, they are hard workers, um, most of these people. Some have grandiose visions and they they aren't hard workers and they don't succeed. But many really Mm -hmm. do and they really do work hard all the time. But at a sacrifice to intimate relationships. 
because they're not available. So when, so when the, the, we did a, a wide jump from 20 to 40, but th- those are yeah. usually the dating years. So can yeah. you identify uh, someone, as you were mentioning, these people are already married and the spouse may, you, like you said, they've been in it for years dealing with this person. What are, what are some things that, uh, that a person that's in the 20 to 40-year-old dating realm what are some uh, uh, triggers or some just different characteristics that they can keep an eye out for to uh, see, mm-hmm. oh, this person may be going in this direction? Okay. Um, what I'll do is I'll focus on the women who fall for narcissistic men and have 20, 30, 40-year relationships with them. Um, okay. Such a woman is often called codependent, meaning mm-hmm. she needs to be attached to a man she admires. So when they meet, he woos her, he pursues her, he says, break that date and come out with me. And she does, because she feels so special. And this is what she is making her self-worth out of. So she often is incorrectly self-deprecating, underestimating her own abilities, and following this man's dictates without questioning it. So she minimizes or dismisses her own needs. Um, these, I mean, they're certainly very capable women. I said one was a pediatrician, another was a homemaker, but a wonderful mother. Um, and she too easily accepted her, ma- her husband's domination. Um, his verbose, both, excuse me, verbose talking about himself, his need to char- take charge of all their activities. She tolerated his silent treatment when his needs weren't met. She see- saw this as what marriage was. So um, she may have had narcissistic parents, so she was accustomed to this and didn't realize there really was another world out there. Um, She could be a really nice person, very socially agreeable, and make friends easily, but he would view her friends as commonplace. They're just regular people. Um, But his friends would come first and were elevated. Um, She is likely to want to stay with him because it, if, She can't build her own self-esteem, which is why these women often come into treatment because when they're in their 40s, and they know that a part of them knows they're very capable, they don't feel it, and they get depressed or very anxious, and um, they are suffering, so they seek help. And then the job of the therapist is really to help them find and appreciate their own abilities, their own gifts, and by not only supporting it, but even identifying it, um, these women then come to feel disenchanted with the man who's disparaging them, because they realize they are worthwhile people too. And that's when the marriage gets lost. And in the extreme, that's when they may discover that the narcissist they've been living with has been having an affair or many affairs and they were totally blind to it. They just accepted he was out working all the time and um, are shocked when it's revealed. And that puts every, upends everybody's life. Um, he still wants to feel special and grand. He just wants her to accept it. He says he'll stop. Some do, some don't. Um, and some women can kind of take on a, a good belief in themselves and expand their lives, their friendships, their accomplishments, and feel like individuals. Um, gotcha. They may or may not stay in the marriage. It depends on how invested they are, particularly in their children's lives um, at that point, and their way of life. Um, but they're seeing themselves differently. They, are, they go through quite a tremendous um, struggle and change. And that, that actually led me to the next question because mm-hmm. what we're talking about is the traditional uh, marriage, right? The, the nuclear yeah. family, if you will. The uh, June Cleaver and Ward goes off to work and she kisses them on the cheek, but he knows that it can't go to world. Uh, however, in, in 2020, you know, with this boundless ambition and what have you, and these highly demanding corporate jobs, you have women in these roles. 
And yeah. so are they choosing not, if they are ex- exhibiting this NPD, are they choosing not to be in a marriage? Because they're, they're like, why would I marry a guy in a less station than I am? That is what? I'm sorry? That is in a, in a less station of life, like socially. Oh, oh, oh. Um, well, they begin to question what they've done because their ambitions are being fulfilled too. Um, mm-hmm. um, they no longer rely on the man to make them feel great. They get their own praise and their own admiration. Um, mm-hmm. If the man can learn to be flexible, they're a great pair. They're you know, a really winning team. Um, but um, if she feels in, really underappreciated, she's going to look for someone who will um, see her as she is. So she mm. believes. But divorce is such a, a difficult process that some people do stay in the marriage. And some marital therapists, I'm not one, but some try to believe that the marriage should stay together, that the woman should um, forgive the man for his trans transgression and of course this is a whole national issue <laughs> um, sure yeah. well, the other side of that I, I was just thinking how at the beginning of the top of the hour we we're talking about the uh, corporate environment rewarding that behavior and I, I've seen where especially from for women that if they you know t- tie the line to the corporate excellence they're rewarded but if they if they're pregnant or something like that, they not necessarily get demoted, but they get off that fast track. So the, it seems like the corporate environment doesn't allow for that balance either. Like you can't yeah. be the top earner mm-hmm. and a housewife. Yeah. Or they do try to do the impossible. I was writing for Huffington Post for quite a while, and I did a um, series of interviews online with professional women and mm-hmm. um, asked them about various questions. And interesting, they were all very successful. Dentists, gynecologists, lawyers, um, high earners, they all had kids. Um, some made more money than their husbands, highly educated. But you know what the bottom line? They said they cared mostly about being mothers. And um, that didn't keep them from doing their occupations, mm-hmm. but they kept their minds on motherhood. And mm-hmm. it was, they had to figure out how to do both. And they did. Um, I kind of fit into that category. I have wonderful children, and I mm-hmm. love being a grandmother. Um, and I prioritize it. And so that was my way of kind of dealing with this issue. Um, but some women exceed their human limitations and fall apart. <laughs> you know, you can't, it, it's very hard to be the perfect mother, the perfect corporate person all at the same time. You right. know, you end up sleeping three hours a night so that you can get up early and do your work and then be there to make breakfast for your child going off to school. So you mm-hmm. can't. I mean, you just can't live like that. Um, Arianna Huffington, in fact, wrote a book, I forget the name of it, but she apparently had an exhaustion breakdown. She ended up in the hospital Mm. because she was trying Mm. to do all that. Um, So, you know, I I, I look out for the young women that I meet um, to help them find what, what do you really want to prioritize at what time in your life you know, we don't have to do the same thing at 20 that we do at 40 that we do at 60. We can change our mm-hmm. careers. We can change our um, priorities. Um, and, and that helps a lot of women to learn and see other women do that. Mm-hmm. That was my next question as far as group, group therapy. Do you handle that as well? Like, it sounds like a lot of these groups hang hang out together, and if that one person was courageous to take that first step, they may bring the whole group with them. Yeah, yeah. You need new mentors. There are people, women seem to find them. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, 
Um, I've kind of shifted gears from writing nonfiction to uh, fiction lately, and so mm-hmm. I've done writing novels, and um, they're really character studies. They have, I hope, good plots, and they're suspenseful. Um, mm-hmm. But they show, I, it gives me an opportunity to create characters who learn how to change and how to um, see clearly their lives and know they have many opportunities. Um, it's not real life, it's fiction, but um, I'm enjoying writing about it. Sure, and, and I guess the last question, in real life, I mean, you're, you're balancing all that. You have a, a successful practice, but you're also in your, like you said, a, a mother and a grandmother, but you're also an accomplished artist. So how do you juggle all of these? Um, well, um, the way I did it was when my kids were little um, and I was practicing, I organized my practice around their needs because I personally did not want to miss out. I wanted to be there after school. So I did not have a 3 o'clock appointment. Um, and when they were in high school, I would drive my kids to school before they had licenses because I wanted to spend time with them. And then I'd come home and go to my office. Um, so you kind of find your own ways of doing everything without with being careful that you don't get overwhelmed because um, that's too easy. Um, and I had a very supportive husband, so um, I also had, have an office in my house. I have a, um, what do you call it, a um, studio, an art studio at my home um, that my husband actually built for me um, so that logistically I, I'm not on the road commuting everywhere, and that helps mm-hmm. me to me personally to um, put everything together. Mm. Now that's that's phenomenal, and and so when others want to, I mean, you have sound, it sounds like you have laid out a template <laughs> that yeah. it can actually work. You can be highly ambitious and balanced and live a successful life. And for those that are running to or identifying narcissists mm-hmm. in their relationships, guys or girls, how would they get in touch with you, and how? And they, I'd like for you to highlight your books and your website and all that good stuff. Okay. Um, the newest book, which is coming out earlier than I expected, you mentioned it's coming out um, March 17th, so it's already on Amazon. Um, How Do You Live with a Narcissist? And that book has many, many examples of situations that I think are helpful for um, men and women to read. Um, there's a section um, for women telling that, uh, not telling them, but you know, advising them on ways to uh, take actions to feel more self-confident themselves. There's a section that talks about how not to raise a narcissist. Um, and I hope that book really um, is appealing to people and clarifies uh, the characteristics that we talked about. Um, mm-hmm. My website is very simple. It's Lori, L-A-U-R-I-E, Holman, H-O-L-L-M-A-N, Ph-D.com. And if you go on it, all the books are there and over 100 articles. Um, on all different parenting and uh, personality disorder topics so that people can read them without buying anything. Um, there are links to everything. And, um, I, you know, I hope people do that because, or subscribe to my blog, which I'm not using as a marketing tool, but really just to put articles out there that I want. Um, then you get the article in your email. You know, it's, it's easy. Um, mm-hmm. And when people use my website well, it's a big support for them. And um, that's really my intention. Um, I love writing. Um, I'm doing it more and more. I I do it almost every day now. Um, But the reason I've been kind of encouraged to do that is so that 
what people have learned in my practice, they can also learn by reading on their own. And um, it's actually the publisher who suggested I write the this, this series for parents, the Busy Parents series, because mm-hmm. most families today have two working parents. And how do they manage to use what I call parental intelligence, that's the concept I uh, created, when they're very busy. And so I show them how they can do that. Um, so they have a kind of template, like you use that as a good word, um, to know about how to look at their child, not as bad, but the stress, and understand the meaning behind their behavior. And I teach them how to do that. Um, so all these books are... I wouldn't, they're not fluffy self-help books. They do take time, but um, they really do educate, and that's my aim. And it sounds like you, you definitely are doing that, and, and you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza and Dr. Lori Holman. It was a pleasure. Let's stay in touch. Oh, yes, I'd love to. I really like your, um, your website and your focus. Um, and also, I should mention, an easy way to find my books is just to go to Amazon. They're all there. Just you know, put my name in the search box, and they'll all be listed. Um, and there's a, Amazon asks you to write a whole biography, so all that stuff is there, too. Fantastic. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you so much. You're a wonderful listener yourself, actually. Thank you. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.